Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In segment three, we're going to be joined by Paul Swangard. He's the managing director of the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. We'll talk about the Summer Olympics in Beijing, the marketability of Michael Phelps, who has been dominant thus far. We'll also talk to him about the launch of the latest Madden video game. That's coming up in segment three with Paul Swangard. In segment four, we're going to go to Beijing, site of the Summer Olympics. We'll talk with Charles Robinson of YahooSports.com. We'll talk about how things are going from an operational standpoint in Beijing and get some of his thoughts from on the ground there in China. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to SportsBusinessRadio.com. I'm joined in studio by Nathan Roach. Nathan, uh, Michael Phelps is really the story of these games so far. We haven't made our way into track and field, one of the other glamour events, but NBC is loving Michael Phelps because their ratings are uh, drastically ahead of where they were four years ago when the games were in Athens. Well, what's amazing about it is people at work where I work are not sports fans, and yet everybody's coming in exhausted in the morning because everybody's been awake till midnight watching Phelps swim. So Michael Phelps really has been the story, but everybody's been glued to these games. We talked about it before. They were interested in the protests and everything else going on, but I haven't heard anybody talk about that. I've been hearing people actually talk about the sports, which I'm surprised about. The other thing that's working for NBC is the multiple platforms that they're offering the content on. I got online this week, and I watched table tennis on my computer. One of the things, and, and the cool thing is, too, is that you can be your own director, so you can put four different events up on one screen, it's like you're the director of your own control room. And I'll tell you, the video was great. There was no delay. And it was really amazing. You're watching something on the other end of the world, and it's crystal clear video. So video numbers are up big time. We'll give you those numbers in our next segment. We're also going to talk about uh, the impact of Brett Favre on the Jets in New York. We talked about that a little bit last week, but we've got some more numbers to share with you this week, Brett Favre, one of the biggest names in NFL history, what he's doing in New York for the Jets' business. We'll talk about that next. Headlines coming up. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. 
The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, the Beijing Summer Olympics are underway. TV ratings and online viewership are up sharply from Athens. Nathan, viewership on TV is up about 15.6% from Athens. And then the online numbers are really through the roof. I mean, in the last four years, broadband has become uh, a household thing that we didn't have four years ago. And the numbers for online, there's been 373.9 million page views for the first five days of these Olympics. So, you know, as I was saying in the first segment, I got online and watched table tennis, I watched uh, handball. I watched softball. I mean, it's really cool because the video quality is very good, and you can watch multiple events at one time. Now, you can't watch USA Basketball, or you can't watch Michael Phelps, but there are some lesser sports that you can watch, it, and I think the technology is very good. No, I think it's great, and I haven't had a lot of opportunity to surf around online. I've mostly been watching it on TV at night, and, you know, a lot of people complain, oh, it's tape delayed. It's live on the East Coast, but it's not live on the West Coast. I don't really care about that. If I think if I'm watching it and I don't know the result, it might as well be live. The hardest part for me with the Olympic Games is when you're logging on to just about any website during the day while the games are going on, you really have to kind of avoid anything that mentions Olympics or it spoils it for you. So I'm not as concerned with live as I am just about having it spoiled when I log on to msn.com. Now last weekend the USA and China had a men's basketball game and there were some real stars in that. Yao Ming for China and then LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, and others for Team USA. And some people said that it was the most watched sporting event in the history of television. Over a billion people tuned in. In China alone, 184 million viewers tuned in. So a good Super Bowl, Nathan, is 95 to 100 million people in the United States. So 184 million people just in China watching this game, not counting how many people watched it over here in the United States. Huge numbers. And then we see with Michael Phelps, as we were talking, NBC negotiated with uh, Bocog and the IOC for Michael Phelps to be able to race in prime time live here in the United States. So it's morning time in Beijing. They aren't able to do the same thing with track and field. But with one athlete they wanted to do that with, it was Michael Phelps, because they really felt like you'd be watching history in the making. And the numbers for NBC, as we said, have been enormous so far. So NBC should thank Michael Phelps for a lot of their numbers thus far. Well, the other sports business story directly relates to swimming, and it's the Speedo versus Nike uh, debate. And a lot of Nike athletes were granted by, or a lot of Nike athletes were allowed to wear this new Speedo suit that everybody's been wearing. And some of them, Jason Lezak, who is obviously uh, a gold medal winner on the relay team this Olympics, has covered up the Speedo sign. On the flip side of that, you look at Michael Phelps, who every time he gets up there on the award stand with the gold medal, he's got a Nike jacket on. So it's kind of interesting to watch. We saw it with the Dream Team back in the, the, the early 90s when Michael Jordan covered up the logo that you know instead of having Nike. So it's, it's kind of unique to see an athlete like Michael Phelps, who's sponsored by Speedo, wearing a Nike jacket and vice versa. Yeah, and don't forget, Michael Phelps is getting a million-dollar bonus from Speedo if he does, in fact, deliver on eight gold medals. Uh, we will continue to watch the Olympics, and in our next segment, we'll talk more with Paul Swangard, the managing director of the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center, about the marketability 
of Michael Phelpson. Coming up in segment four, Charles Robinson from Yahoo Sports is going to join us from Beijing. Our next headline, the NFL in response to new IRS rules going into effect this year for nonprofit organizations is asking Congress for an exception to the requirement of publicly disclosing the names and salaries of employees at NFL headquarters who make more than $150,000 a year. This according to the New York Times. The league argues that it is not charity that receives public donations, but rather it is a trade association financed by the 32 teams. The team's owners can ask for salary information at any time. This is interesting, Nathan. Again, you know, how many times, whether it's high-profile employees, commissioners, athletes, um, you know, there's a lot of us that probably wouldn't want our salaries put in the paper, but this is something that high-profile people have to put up with. Well, yeah, and it's always jaw-dropping when you see what some of these people are making, and I'm sure that's why they want to hide behind that. But, uh, you know, when you're in a high-profile job, that is the price that you're going to pay. Nobody's going to ask me what my salary is, and if they do, I'm going to politely tell them I'm not going to tell them. But, you know, these people are in high-profile jobs, and I think, it, you know, the public should know. All right, our next headline Brett Favre obviously has been traded to the New York Jets. We talked about that last week, but here's some more numbers. The team basically sold 3,800 jerseys in the first 24 hours after the Favre trade. There were also 2.5 million page views to the Jets' website. That's about 50 times more than what they normally get. And then sponsorships, from all accounts, uh, Favre has generated much more sponsorship interest. Don't forget that the Jets are trying to sell naming rights to their new stadium that opens in 2010. They're opening a new stadium with the Giants. So it looks like already, even though he hasn't played a game, Brett Favre is having a good impact on the business of the New York Jets. Well, obviously the Jets stand to benefit from this, but so does Brett Favre. He's going to be in the biggest market in the country, New York. It'll be interesting to see how Brett Favre's marketability in New York goes up. Green Bay, smallest market in the NFL, not a huge market to be a big-name athlete in New York is. Well, you talk about Favre benefiting. If you go to his personal website, officialbrettfavre.com, He's taking pre-orders for autographed number four Jets jerseys. He's selling them for $799.99 a piece. By the way, Reebok expects Favre's new Jets jersey to be the all-time single highest-selling jersey in a season that they've ever had. That's really saying something. Well, that's ridiculous that Brett Favre is doing that on his website. That just The whole thing with Brett Favre has really disappointed me. He's an icon. I love Brett Favre. But to sell your own jersey, talk about self-promotion for $800 a jersey. That's ridiculous. You're saying he doesn't need the money? He doesn't need the money, <laughs> and it makes him look like an, like an idiot. All right, our next headline, speaking of idiots, Yankees owner Hank Steinbrenner. He sounds like he's throwing in the towel on the current baseball season. His father... George would have never said anything like this. He said, and I quote this week, I think it's very simple. We've been devastated by injuries. No team I've ever seen in baseball has been decimated like this. It would c kill any team. But he went on to say, we're going to win it next year. If we need to add a top veteran pitcher, we'll do that. We'll do whatever we need to do. Next year will be extremely dangerous. He's already talking about next year. Nathan the Yankees have the highest payroll in baseball, $209 million. The next closest team is Bobby Corser's Detroit Tigers at $138 million. They're a train wreck. They're not going to make the playoffs either. So once again, it shows just because you spend a lot of money, 
the top two teams in baseball aren't going to make the playoffs doesn't mean that you're going to be successful. Well, not only that, but you know, you're letting all the casual fans who might not know the exact position of the New York Yankees at this moment, when they're flipping through the channels and they see the Yankees, wait a minute, they're not even going to make the playoffs. Why am I going to tune into this? You know, he's an idiot for saying that. Well, and what kind of message are you sending to your team? You're basically saying, look, uh, there's 40% of the season left, and you know, essentially I'm throwing in the towel. If your owner's doing that, it sets the tone for the rest of the team. Now, on the flip side, the Tampa Bay Rays, who lead the AL East, they have the second lowest payroll in baseball, $43 million. And then the Florida Marlins, they're in the thick of the NL East race. They have a payroll of $21 million. A-Rod at $28 million makes more than the entire Florida Marlins team payroll. That's astounding. Our next headline, CBS has agreed to sign a deal with the SEC. It's a 15-year broadcast TV deal that includes a wide variety of digital and streaming rights for football and basketball. The conference also continues to negotiate with ESPN for a cable deal. An agreement is expected to be signed in the upcoming weeks. The SEC still is considering launching its own channel, though it is now considered a long shot. The CBS deal, which runs through the year 2023, will give the broadcaster a football game of the week, along with primetime and doubleheader windows. CBS will also have a noon window for some football games. As part of the deal, CBS has the right to stream its games live on the Internet starting in 2009. More live games on the Internet, I like to hear that. But the SEC, Nathan, as far as football goes, I think they are the supreme conference. So if CBS can lock them in for the next 15 years, that's very good for CBS's sports lineup. Yeah, it's a goldmine no matter how you look at it, whether it's online or on TV. You're not going to lose money with college football. Our next headline, Oklahoma City. They're probably going to be the Thunder, but you know, no one will confirm that yet. Uh, they're excited, but uh, now fans know how much... Tickets are going to cost. The average ticket price is $47.51. When they were in Seattle last year, the average ticket price was $35. But the Oklahoma City franchise is still under the NBA average for a ticket, which is $48.83. And the Oklahoma City team will have 3,400 seats available for $10 per game. The NBA requires that each team have at least 500 $10 tickets available at every venue. So, you know, I don't know how good the team's going to be, but obviously they've had to jack up the prices a little bit to pay for the move, the legal fees, and everything else associated with relocating your team. Well, I'm embarrassed to say I've probably never sat in seats that were $10. I'd be interested to see how those seats are $10 way up in the nosebleeds. Uh, can't be very good. All right. Coming up in our next segment, we're going to be joined by Paul Swangard. He's the managing director of the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. We're going to talk about the Olympics. We'll talk about Michael Phelps' marketability. He's been the superstar of these games thus far. We'll also talk about NBC and their coverage and what we might be able to expect for the rest of the Olympics and some of their ratings that we've discussed already in our show so far. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. <laughs> <laughs> 
Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at SportsBusinessRadio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday <laughs> or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. This is Sports Business Radio. I'm joined by Paul Swangard. He's the managing director of the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Paul, thanks for making time to join us this week. Always a pleasure, Brian. So, Paul, give me your early impressions of the Beijing Summer Olympics. You and I were in China last summer. I was... Uh, Honored to be part of your trip with the Warsaw Center out to Beijing and, and Shanghai. And uh, I know we've talked a lot about the anticipation of these games. Now that they're underway, what are your thoughts? Well, I think uh, it's, it's playing out as, as I would have expected. I, uh, you know, I, there was lots of anticipation for the start of the games and, and folks wondering just how much of a show the Chinese were going to be able to put on. And, and so far, I think it is mixed results. Uh, you know, the, the community itself, Beijing, is putting on a, a great show. The, uh, the, the challenges that we expected them to have in terms of logistics, the weather, uh, and, and, and I think you and I, Brian, both know that uh, we were expecting to see some of these issues, though we didn't know what they would manifest themselves into, either it being the the purported 16-year-old gymnast who may not be 16 or the, you know, the, the crooked teeth versus straight teeth uh, singers at the opening ceremonies. It's, it's just a very unique world over there, and... Uh, but for the most part, I think the Olympics is uh, it, it's in the right place at the right time, and I think uh, hopefully people are sitting back and enjoying what has been, at least in competition, some phenomenal action. Yeah, I mean, if we didn't learn that this is a country that cares more about what people think about them than anything else, all you need to do is look at this uh, lip-syncing controversy with the young lady who uh, was lip-syncing during the opening ceremonies, and supposedly the girl whose voice you were hearing wasn't deemed pretty enough by the Chinese government, so they put a little girl out there who they thought was prettier, even though she was lip-syncing, and then we have word that there may have been uh, fake fireworks, so if we're watching it on TV, it looks like an unbelievable fireworks show, but the people that were actually there didn't see most of those fireworks because they were computer animation. I I just think that uh, it looks good, but China's doing it with smoke and mirrors a little bit. Well, and I think, and I say this with a great deal of respect for the country as a place I've traveled to and spent quite a bit of time here in the last few years. The thing that I think a lot of people would take away from the opening ceremonies is just, you know, it's a unique thing to have a country full of 1.3 billion people. And when you saw all of the extravagance of what is arguably the most amazing opening ceremonies you ever witnessed, you were struck by just the volume of people and and it's that that country sort of views its people as a commodity and their athletes are developed as um, basically athletes of the state and they will be developed into Olympic champions and if you're not an Olympic champion you're sort of spit out of the system and and there are problems that exist there but it's it's really what the country has been all about uh, for you know last several decades and I think they're beginning to make that transition but uh, you know right now you're sort of seeing a 
a country in, in a rapid state of change. And for the hope, uh, I guess, for the, the hope of moving forward in a positive direction, hopefully this will be um, an Olympics that brings the change that I think not only the rest of the world wants, but I, I actually think the people of China want as well. For the record, I did think that the opening ceremonies were the best ever, and I thought one of the tremendous parts was uh, Li Ning, who actually is the namesake of a very successful uh, sports and apparel company. He lit the opening uh, the torch and um, scaling the uh, outside ring of the stadium. And then, Paul, I read this week that uh, Li Ning's stock went up sharply based on Li Ning lighting the torch. That was interesting, I thought. Yeah, I, I, I think it is the single greatest ambush marketing example we've ever seen in Olympic history. The Michael Johnson golden track spike in 96 certainly was uh, among the best and, and arguably the best up until this point. Um, it, it, while it may not resonate with a whole lot of people right now, you know, even in, in our backyard, you will begin to hear about Li Ning, and I think uh, this this participation in a very unique way in uh, in the opening ceremonies is a sign that uh, this is a brand that uh, you'll be hearing more about in the years to come. Well, you almost wonder, I mean, you talk about guerrilla marketing, you almost wonder if uh, a lot of the Chinese athletes are wearing Li Ning sports and apparel. And by the way, Li Ning was uh, a track and field athlete, correct? Uh, gymnast. Gymnast. Okay. So he was a very uh, legendary gymnast in China. And uh you know, some of the Chinese athletes are wearing leaning apparel. You almost wonder if it was part of the deal where, hey, we'll let you light the torch if you supply us with apparel for our athletes. Well, I mean, I think it's, you know, in some ways it is in the interest of the country to help uh, make these uh, domestic brands successful. And, you know, Lenovo, which took over the IBM PC business and laptop business, is a Chinese-based brand that is actually an Olympic sponsor. Uh, Li Ning is one as well. Anta, there's other brands that are uh, emerging. Um, even folks who watch the NBA may not realize that uh, companies like Hire, which makes a, a lot of the uh, the refrigerators that sit in a lot of uh, basement uh, home bars around the country are actually made by a Chinese company, and, and they are linked to the NBA now. So, uh, you know, again, the Olympics really representing for China uh, a coming-out party, and to help those uh, domestic brands use the Olympics in a positive way is, is, is absolutely part of the long-term strategy. We're joined by Paul Swangard. He's the managing director of the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Paul, let's talk about the athlete of the games thus far, Michael Phelps. He is now the greatest decorated athlete in the history of Olympic Games. And let's talk about his marketability. I mean, this is a guy who is represented by IMG. Um, he's already got a number of deals, but you you just have to think that he's going to have a whole slew of deals to choose from at the end of these games, wouldn't you? Yes and no. I mean, I, I think he, he remains you know, somewhat trapped and penalized by the Olympic movement. And, you know, the question that you ask as a marketer is, you know, if I invest in this athlete, how will he continue to be relevant to the consumer I'm trying to reach? And in most cases, it's, you know, relying upon uh, the media continuing to, to focus on that athlete. And with no disrespect to what arguably is the greatest swimmer of all time, you know, in you know, September 1 or whenever the games, uh, you know, culminate at the end of, of August, the media in the U.S. and the fans' attention will turn to the start of college football, the start of the NFL season, the, the uh, pennant chases in, in Major League Baseball. 
without that ongoing um, you know, image engine or notoriety engine, it's going to be really hard for Michael. I think he's commanded a huge amount of uh, windfall in the, in the months and, and the years leading up to these games. He will continue to have opportunities. The, the, the idea that I've posed is, you know, what could a Michael Phelps learn from something, someone like Cal Ripken? Um, you know, Cal has used his notoriety, arguably in a, a much more visible domestic sport, to build a business around the sport of baseball. I think Michael Phelps, if he has the right people behind him, could do the same thing sort of swimming, and uh, I think that might be the, the best long-term opportunity for him. The, the visas of the world will probably move on to the next crop of Olympic athletes before we even reach line. You bring up a good point there. Uh, let me ask you this. He gets a $1 million bonus from Speedo if he wins eight gold medals, correct? He does, yeah. So, I mean, I think Speedo gets some nice juice out of that. I mean, people like us are talking about that right now, and I would imagine that it's going to be well worth their $1 million investment if he does, in fact, get those eight gold medals. Oh, I think they've already you know, they've already garnered that, that much uh, media value already if, if – if they made a uh, if they made a version of that speedo suit that was a little less uh, body hugging, I think every uh, swimmer in the in the tri country area would uh, would slip it on. There's there's certainly just a a really neat story to tell with this uh, new technology, and um, you know, in the same way that we we talk about Nike's brilliance with incorporating air and some of their uh, other uh, you know technologies into high performance uh, product, I think if they can take that down into a uh, a consumer segment that doesn't necessarily want to look like um, like they're wearing fish skin on uh, you know the the local swim and tennis club. There's going to be a huge market for that product moving forward. Paul, let's talk about NBC. Obviously, they paid 894 million dollars for the rights to these games. Uh, by all reports, they've already made that back and then some with advertising. They're getting big TV numbers right now behind the success of Michael Phelps, and their online viewership is up 641%. So from four years ago in Athens to now, obviously broadband is much more successful, and we're seeing people get on the Internet to watch things much more than we did before. Talk about NBC's success, if you might, for a moment. Yeah, I mean, I think for, for NBC, they've done a lot of things right. Um, they've obviously benefited here in the, in the, in the front end of, of being able to have scheduled uh, Michael's competitions for his medals in a primetime window for live coverage, at least in the east and central time zones. Um, it, it is going to be a challenge on the back end when track and field moves to a, a night schedule at the Nest, the Olympic Stadium, and, and much of that activity will happen um, while people are asleep. And, uh, you know, some of it's just, the, you know, the opportunity to witness history and being given that opportunity to watch it in a live window. I think, you know, as you compare it against the Athens numbers, you have to also realize that I think the hype around Beijing is slightly bigger than the hype was around Athens. So I can, I think the the higher numbers can be somewhat contributed to that. But you know, again, as you pointed out, when you're when you're putting in almost a billion dollars just for the rights going into it, you have to hope that these numbers uh, come to fruition. And um, in the in the world of sport, you never know whether that's going to happen. And uh, you know, if if Speedo's giving Michael Phelps a $1 million bonus, I would encourage Dick Ebersol to think uh, about maybe a, a nice little donation to the Michael Phelps Foundation after this thing's over. Yeah, you're not kidding. Uh, the one thing that I is my major complaint with NBC so far, and you know, I don't know if there's anything they can do to fix it. They probably can't. But here we are on the West Coast. 
So everything is delayed by three hours. If you're on the East Coast, you're watching things live. It says live if you're on the West Coast, but it's not really live. It's three hours delayed. So that's been disappointing. Yeah, and I think we're in the midst of an inevitable transition, and the pressure will be on NBC even more so when we move to London in 2012. Is I think consumers you know, are growing increasingly tired of being told when they can witness something. Um, if, if the technology is available and there's an ability to see something live, um, I want to see it. So, you know, I had friends in Seattle who ha- actually have the CBC on cable uh, up there, and they were, you know, they got up early to watch the opening ceremonies live on CBC because it was being tape delayed by 12 hours on the NBC broadcast in the U.S., you know, at the end of the day, the beauty of sport and the desire of sports fans is is to share in that sport consumption um, as a global community, recognizing that it may not happen in the convenient hours of uh, 8 to 11 p.m. You know, Eastern time. And I suppose that's why, um, you know, reality television, uh, you know, will have its uh, continued relevancy because in some ways it's kind of like sports but it's controlled and you don't know the results when you're watching that, you know, final episode of Survivor whereas in the sports context at least in the Olympics you may have known for 12 hours that Michael Phelps would have won. Let's talk about two quick things not related to the Olympics before I let you go. Uh the Madden launch, the Madden video game, very very successful entity for EA Sports. Uh your students were involved with the Madden game this year. Uh, talk about that a little bit and just the launch of the game overall. I heard it was very successful this week. Yeah, they've, they've done a nice job. The uh, Madden Palooza uh, event down in Los Angeles was, uh, you know, really speaks to kind of how this has turned into a, you know, kind of part of the, the culture of, of the NFL. It's the 20th anniversary of the product. Um, the thing that I'm involved in that I can talk about now is um, we're actually working with uh, Electronic Arts to develop a. Um, a pilot where we're going to use the Madden football game to help teach sports business in in one of our freshman courses. So uh, long story short, we're going to actually allow the students to own a NFL franchise. In our case, it'll be the Seattle Seahawks for this fall. And by running them through the owner's mode or the franchise mode of Madden, we'll use that as a, a teaching tool. So uh, just another way to, um, you know, tap into what is, uh, you know, truly one of the, uh, you know, iconic uh, parts of the opening of the NFL season. In fact, I, uh, I was struck by how many of the NFL athletes say that the first thing that they do on the morning of the Madden launch is to buy a copy of the game to see what their rating is. Um, <laughs> and it's become, you know, part of the culture of even being an NFL player to brag to your, fr- you know, your friends in double days that your, uh, your speed rating is better than uh, the speed rating of your next nearest competitor well i read a story that vince young the quarterback of the titans went out and bought a bunch of copies for his uh teammates and everyone was very happy with vince this week and then obviously paul uh brett Favre, who's on the cover is on the cover in a packers jersey but i guess you can get some cover work to have him in a uh, jets jersey and then there's a uh key that you can get to unlock the game so you can get Brett Favre as a as a New York Jets player instead of as a Packers player. Yeah, I mean it just becomes part of the the life of a of an avid NFL fan to uh to have this opportunity to engage the sport in a in a much more immersive way and um you know I I use the example in my own mind I I still own a copy of the 2002 title of college football with Joey Harrington the Oregon quarterback on the cover the Ducks 
as many know, only lost one game in 2001, Joey's senior year. And I have a lot of satisfaction every once in a while going back and playing the Stanford Cardinal, the team that beat the Ducks, and always annihilating them 83 to nothing and <laughs> feeling somehow validated that uh, we truly did have an undefeated season, even though reality would dictate otherwise. I'm glad you can get your aggressions out in that way, Paul. It, 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 it's, it's safer than a lot of other options out there. <laughs> All right, last question. What else is new at the uh, Warsaw Center? I know you guys are getting ready for your big trip to uh, China. Yeah, we're excited about that, uh, waiting for the, uh, the, the excitement of the Olympics to wear off, but we'll actually be in Beijing for what is what I'm told is truly an amazing um, Olympic-like experience, which is the actual Paralympic Games, which always follow the Olympics. They use the same venues. Uh, these are disabled, uh, ambulatory athletes that are still – um, just as fired up about competing uh, in Beijing, uh, gives us a chance also to to meet and and work with a number of our um, our our business partners over there who will have a little bit more time to talk with us now that the uh, the regular games are over, and also have our first chance to hear from uh, Timothy Chen, the new uh, CEO of NBA China. The real story to follow over in Beijing after the uh, games are over is the future of uh, of the NBA over there, and and talk now of a. Of a league and and modern facilities being built, and uh, we'll get a chance to hear about that firsthand in just a few short weeks. Well, I'm sure we'll catch up before you uh, head to China. But uh, as always, thanks for making time for us here on Sports Business Radio. Thanks, Brian. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Charles Robinson. He's with Yahoo Sports. You can find him online at yahoosports.com. He's joining us from Beijing, site of the Summer Olympics. Charles, thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. Beautiful day in Beijing. <laughs> so, Charles, stateside, the dominant story of these Olympic Games so far is Michael Phelps. Is he the story there in Beijing as well? Is that what everyone's paying attention to? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I think uh, obviously locally the, the Chinese are very excited over the medal count. Um, uh, you know, a lot of national pride over these games and, and really being able to pull them off correctly. But I think, you know, beyond that, I, I think the, the athlete who's been most focused on here is probably Michael Phelps. And that, that's saying something when Kobe and Yao Ming are both in town and, and obviously playing but, you know, what Phelps has been able to do has just been so astounding. And, uh, you know, the venue really has started to pack over the last couple of times he swam. You know, there were empty seats early on. But I think, you know, things are really starting to pick up. I think people 
realize they're seeing history now. And, you know, whenever you have a president and LeBron James and Kobe and really everyone showing up to your swim meet, it says something. Speaking of packed venues, um, the IOC and BOCOG really build these games as sold out. But if you watch on TV, you're seeing a lot of venues with empty seats. What's the story there? Well, that's that's really the big mystery here. Everyone's wondering where the vanishing tickets have gone. And, um, you know, part of it is that a, a lot of tickets were held back and given to, you know, big-time corporate sponsors, uh, diplomats, uh, really very uh, high-end uh, persons who just, frankly, aren't attending all of the games. And that's leaving some empty seats. But there's also been a lot of talk here about the fact that, uh, you know, the Chinese government may have uh, turned over some tickets to ticket brokers, but the reality is no one has been able to find out where a large bulk of tickets to venues have gone. There is a very active uh, scalping zone, uh, you know, near here. And it's it's funny if you read the China Daily, there's always, you know, some policeman being quoted saying, which is obviously the state-run newspaper, it's, uh, there's always a policeman being quoted saying, well, yes, they're selling tickets here, but they're all at face value. And <laughs> I can tell you, that's definitely not legitimate, but... Uh, yeah, there, I, I do believe you know a great amount of tickets that have found their you know their way into the hands of ticket brokers, and for whatever reason, just aren't being scooped up for all events or sold in time for people to attend the games. And then, as I said before, you have a lot of the high-profile people who you know attend some of the the big events, but not necessarily some of the smaller ones. Things like preliminary races with Michael Phelps that you would think might be sold out. You're only seeing half-packed houses. So. Definitely been up and down, but whenever you get near those gold medal, you know, games, the gold medal swims, and, and as you'll see in track and field, the gold medal sprints, uh, it'll be a packed house. Charles, how are things running from an operational standpoint? Obviously, this is a multi-billion dollar undertaking, lots of preparation. Venues are spread out away from the Olympic Village. Beijing is a sprawl. How are things going from an operational st- uh, standpoint? Actually, really well. Uh, I have not heard the complaints that, complaints that you heard at the Athens games, you know, people being on buses for 90 minutes to get to a venue. Uh, really, uh, only getting out to the basketball stadium or the baseball stadium so far has been the biggest chore, and even that's only, you know, at most maybe a 40-minute bus ride. But for the most part, infrastructure-wise, China's done a great job. I mean, they really uh, they, they stuck the uh, track and field venue, obviously the bird's nest, uh, the, the water cube, the aquatic venue, uh, fencing, gymnastics, all are really in one area of China that only seven years ago was all farmland, but has been obviously turned over into this massive athletic complex. And, you know, travel-wise, having, you know, cutting the travel, uh, cutting the cars on the road in half, you know, for these games, the only certain cars can be on the road on even days. Uh, the, the other half of the cars can be on the road on the odd days has really been great. And the taxi service here has been running really well. So, I, you know, from a logistical standpoint, things so far have, have gone really well. And you kind of poke your head around with reporters and talk to them about the Athens games. And it's light and, uh, night and day when you compare, you know, the ease of travel and really just the speed you're able to get around the city. They, they've done a very good job with that. Don't they have? They have like an Olympic-only traffic lane, I think, right? Yes. Yes, they do. Absolutely. And uh, actually, even some of the taxi services... Uh, they've issued cards that allow some of the taxis to go into the Olympic-only traffic lane, and then also they're allowing some taxis to go through if it contains either diplomats or reporters or whoever who have credentials to show that they're heading to a, to an Olympic venue. So they, they've really done a good job. Uh, I was surprised. I really wondered when we first got here, uh, during the day, even though they've cut the traffic in half, 
it can be a little bit of a mess on the freeway. But like you said, that Olympic-only traffic lane has really helped people get around pretty easily. Charles Robinson from YahooSports.com is joining us from Beijing, China, site of the Summer Olympics. Charles, uh, the weather and the pollution. I was there about a year ago at this time, and the weather was hot and muggy. The pollution yeah. was miserable. I see on TV as I'm watching, if they show the outdoor events, they're showing tight shots. They're not showing a lot of the landscape. <laughs> Uh, is the pollution and weather uh, wreaking havoc on the athletes right now? Well, it, you know, it, to be honest with you, the first four days I was here, I actually arrived on the fourth. Uh, it, it was. It was brutal. I mean, it was the heat. The, the smog was amazing. Landing in the airport almost looked like you're in a snowstorm. Right. Uh, but since then, it's rained on a few days, and you, you find that the day after rain, it clears up quite a bit. And ironically, you're calling me on uh, what I think is probably the most beautiful day since I arrived here. Lots of blue sky. Uh, broken up cloud cover, you know, sunshine. But, you know, since I've gotten here, you're probably talking in, you know, 10 days of being here, maybe two or three days of actually being able to see the sun. Now, is that wreaking havoc on the athletes? There haven't been any complaints, to be honest with you. You know, you went through the road race uh, with the bicyclists, and, and, you know, very few people have complained about issues with the with the uh, the smog. But it's clearly there. And, and I will say this, the Beijing government does not like you calling it smog. You know, you have to refer to it as mist. Uh, that's that's the way that they would like it portrayed. So that is part of the reason why you're seeing, yeah, yes, mist. Very interesting mist. <laughs> I've been there, and if that's mist, uh, I don't have red hair. I mean, it, it's the most ridiculous. You can't call that mist. It's like pea soup at, uh, at best. So let me ask you, you just brought up a good point. Again, when I was there a year ago, media censorship is such a big story there, and I'm reading articles about possible censorship and obviously the chinese government only wants you talking about them in in glowing terms have you had any of your fellow reporters talk to you about uh, any kind of media censorship not really actually you know it's uh it's been pretty free uh and really i think the 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 time uh that really that was to be illustrated was when you had the murder, obviously, of, of the, the U.S. tourists who also happened to be related to the volleyball coach. Right. And to me, that was the moment when if you were going to see censorship, it was going to happen then. Uh, it did not for the most part. You know, we had a reporter who went out into the city with an interpreter. And although you had a lot of people kind of, um, you know, casting a wary eye on whether or not this information was true, they, the, the people here like to see something reported in the, the government-run newspaper before they comment on it. Uh, you know, so that's part of it. But beyond that, no, I don't, I don't think there's been a lot of censorship. People have been roaming around the city pretty freely with cameras, uh, you know, videotaping things. And, you know, up until this point, there hasn't been any, you know, major incident that we thought would occur. But, you know, there's still many games, excuse me, many days to go. That was Charles Robinson from YahooSports.com earlier this week. He joined us on Friday Beijing time. And interestingly enough, as soon as we started talking about uh, media censorship, the phone call went dead. I don't know if uh, our our conversation touched a nerve with the Chinese censors or what, but we appreciate Charles Robinson from YahooSports.com joining us. Check out all of his work at YahooSports.com. We will be right back with our final segment on this edition of Sports Business Radio.
This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training, monitoring, and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Well, Nathan, uh, Major League Baseball might be adding instant replay. Tell us about it. Yes, Major League Baseball parks right now are being wired for instant replay. Bud Selig, who was opposed to it before, has now kind of jumped on board. The War Room, as they're calling the replay studio, uh, is going to be at the Major League Baseball advanced media offices, and they're going to have phones and monitors to check these things out on the field and in the war room. And basically, it's only to dispute home runs, questionable home runs. They're not going to do strikes. They're not going to do close calls of the bases. It's just for home runs. So they're wiring them right now. There's the possibility of of instant replay in Major League Baseball and then at the 2009 World Baseball Classic. Well, that will be interesting to watch. I think it's a good idea. Look, we've seen in tennis, instant replay has helped. The NHL uses instant replay on uh, contested goals. So it's been good, and I think it would be good for Major League Baseball as well. All right, a lot of thank yous on our show. Paul Swangard from the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center, Charles Robinson from YahooSports.com, our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Training. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week by going to sportsbusinessradio.com. Just click on the podcast page if you want to hear some of our best interviews. Click on podcast and then hit the drop-down interviews page. You can hear some of our best interviews of all time. I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week. Keep watching the Olympics. We'll talk to you next weekend on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com.